Hello and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Ben Rogoff, Lead Manager of the Polar Capital Technology Trust. Ben joined Polar Capital in May 2003. As well as his Polar Capital Technology Trust role, he is also Fund Manager of the Polar Capital Global Technology Fund and Polar Capital Automation and Artificial Intelligence Fund. Prior to joining Polar Capital, Ben began his career in fund management at CMI as a global technology analyst. He moved to Aberdeen Asset Managers in 1998, where he spent four years as a senior technology manager. He has a BA in modern history from the University of Oxford and 26 years of industry experience. So first and foremost, Ben, a very warm welcome to you and thank you for sparing us some of your time. So the uh, Polar Capital Technology Trust, could you possibly first of all talk us through the strategy and investment objective for the trust? Sure. Well, we're a, we're a closed-end trust and that we invest exclusively in technology companies around the world in order to sort of give investors access to what we hope are the most exciting themes and trends within the technology sector at any given moment. It's a, a diversified, growth-centric approach. So we try to build portfolios around Found a, a sort of a number of core themes, sort of augment that with some secondary themes, keep an eye on the emerging stuff and make sure, well, at least, at least try our very best to give investors exposure to the most important stuff within technology. Now, obviously, technology is a very broad brush. What are the sort of sector allocations uh, within your trust? Well, you're right. I mean, certainly over during the course of my career, the technology story has permeated sort of deeper and broader than it, you know, might have been in the in the 90s when it was very much about PCs uh, and, and sort of some software bits and bobs. And you know, we've become, you know, we're everywhere, aren't we? The tech sector is is just about everywhere. But but nonetheless, you know, the core exposures for, from our perspective, at least from a sector perspective, remain things like software. A very large portion of the portfolio are software stocks globally. Um, we also have very large exposure to semiconductor companies. They're, they're, they're two of the biggest sector themes that within the portfolio. The internet, of course, uh, transforming almost everything, certainly touching everything that consumers do these days, um, is also a very uh, sizable part of, of the portfolio. And then, you know, again, we've got lots of other stuff happening around sort of more emerging themes, but also, you know, areas like networking, connectivity, you know, the smartphone is obviously a, a critical part to our daily lives, but also as a sort of conduit for transformation. We've got exposure there, electric vehicles, uh, we've got alternative energy. So, you know, we really can touch an awful lot of, of, the, of the global economy, um, you know, through the lens of a tech investor. Absolutely. And, and perhaps just to put some further colour on that, do you think you could possibly talk us through one or two of your top holdings within the trust? Sure. I mean, well, the top absolute holdings in the trust will be well known to most people. Um, you know, companies like Alphabet or AKA Google that we've invested in really ever ever since it was public. We bought it on the first day of public trading. We've held it ever since. Um, and I think everyone knows Google. Apple, again, a name not will not be lost on anybody. Uh, that's a stock that we've owned since 2003 in this trust. And it's, you know, grown to become a, a very sizable part of the, of the portfolio and dominating smartphones and, and obviously transforming the world through its, its app economy and ancillary products. Uh, and then what else have we got? Um, well, we've got Microsoft, which I'm sure, again, everyone's heard of. So the very largest positions, absolute positions in our portfolio are household names. And they're, they're the largest positions in our portfolio because they deserve to be driven by, you know, cash flow and earnings growth that have really supported those stocks over the last few years. Names that your uh, listeners may not be as familiar with that are larger portions of our active portfolio. In other words, bets that we're making against the benchmark in a positive sense. Companies like AMD, Advanced Micro Devices, that was a long-term sort of also ran really to Intel in chip making 
That's one of our biggest active positive positions in the portfolio. We believe the company continues to take market share from Intel growing uh, in the data center where all this cloud computing and AI workloads are happening. Other couple of companies I might mention, uh, Arista Networks, again, a way to play or get exposure to data center and, and, and uh, AI growth in, in the data center, cloud uh, workload growth. That's a networking company. We've got CrowdStrike. That's a, a next generation software company involved in uh, security, cybersecurity, which is you know, a very, an evergreen theme within the portfolio. So there's sort of three smaller absolute positions, but some of our larger relative bets. I mean, obviously we've had a quite extraordinary couple of years. Did 2020 sort of give you the opportunity to add new names to the portfolio perhaps? Well, I think it's a, yeah, I mean, we have had an extraordinary period, not just as investors, as, as, as human beings, haven't we? And this, thankfully, or hopefully, at least, I should say that the this episode feels like we're kind of as, as running its course. Um, but there are still some, obviously, hangovers associated with the pandemic that are weighing on markets, weighing on tech stocks. I would say that the overall period has been, um, in, in, in some ways, very exciting. I think it's given us a glimpse of the future. I think when we were in lockdown, stores closed, offices shuttered. I think we all got a glimpse of the criticality of technology, the centrality of technology in a world where those things were restricted, where physical behaviours were changed. I think the sector did extraordinarily well. You know, early part of the pandemic, we had a portfolio that was well mapped to the pandemic because areas like the internet, software, some of the semiconductor spaces just were in the right place. We added to those groups um, during that, that, that first year of the pandemic. On the way down, as we've started to, well, really post vaccines and the, as the as investors began to shift their attention to reopening, certain parts of the tech sector have probably, you know, have fared less well. Certainly, you know, reopening has created headwinds in areas like the internet, some of the consumer facing technology companies, you know, companies like Peloton that we owned before the pandemic, we added to during the pandemic, and then we've exited quite a while ago now. Companies like Peloton and Zoom have certainly struggled with, with reopening. So we took advantage of the pandemic. We've unwound some of that. And, and here we are today, um, you know, the tech sector is sort of on the receiving end of a reopening and supply chain challenges and all of that good stuff. And so we've had to make some reasonable changes to the portfolio last year to rebalance it, really, yeah, to, to participate in this reopening that we're seeing. And that involved for us, you know, more semiconductor exposure, for example, more exposure to electric vehicles, um, which is a theme that's done well during and I imagine post-pandemic as you know, consumers have pivoted towards electric vehicles. So it's been um, an, an interesting, frustrating of late uh, period as we've seen valuations compress in technology. But I do think that when we look back at this period, we will be reminded much in the same way that we did in the late 90s, of, of the, the change, the latent change that we expect to see over time, particularly from Gen Z, you know, younger people. I think it's very core to build on what you're saying there, Ben, and, and if you can just stick with the theme for the moment, because obviously, if we look at the tech-heavy NASDAQ index in the States, that's down by around 27% in just in 2022. So obviously, your, your current view on the beleaguered technology sector is the the fall that we've seen this year justified on a longer term view. I mean, we've been in a fantastic place to have invested for you know most timeframes. We've had a, a much more challenging period ever since late November uh, last year when the Fed uh, signalled it, it was no longer comfortable with prevailing inflation rates and that they weren't likely to prove transitory. And I think we and other growth sectors have struggled with that narrative shift, with the sort of somewhat loss of what, what is known as the Fed put. Uh, the idea that policymakers will, you know, keep an eye on us and underwrite risk assets, and I think I think markets are, are right to to recognise, you know, that there is a change 
of policy out of the most important central banks. And growth stocks, many of the longer duration growth stocks have had a very tough time um, in, in, in this period. And you know, I think we, we, we would, uh, well, I get we get solace from the, the idea that the tech story, the fundamentals of most of our companies has remained un, unchanged, if not improved. Certainly the consumer facing technology companies, like I referenced earlier, have had a tougher time. You know, the internet stock, that, that group, that cohort of companies has had a hard time, not just with reopening and difficult comparisons, but also supply chain challenges. And now, of course, oil at $110 a barrel, um, you know, consumers feeling very squeezed and naturally consumer facing tech companies uh, are having a tough time. By the way, you know, retailers in the US are having a tough time. So it's not unique to the tech sector by any means. I think when when we talk to our companies, um, and so we so far what we've seen during earnings earnings seasons has been that um, things like digital transformation, the idea of modernising your business, you know, they they haven't changed. Those imperatives remain, um, but I think markets are in the process, and and when they do this, by the way, it's a pretty painful process of of um, repricing recession risk. Now, in the end, this isn't really about the tech sector. I think, you know, again, there's always going to be bits and bobs within tech that fail to live up to a billing. That's just the nature of the tech investment uh, world. It's why we invest the way we do, by the way. It's why we invest in a diversified and risk-aware way. And there will always be mistakes made. And you try to do it in a way that you can deal with those the, those those potholes. And that's really been, it's endemic, or sorry, that's just, that's that what we try to build into the investment process at Polar with a 100, 110 stock portfolio, six to eight core themes, you know, not all of our eggs in one basket. So, so the punchline is that so far, at least, you know, earnings have held up. Companies remain, I think, really our companies are largely have delivered the goods. Uh, many of them have got pricing power in a way that I have, don't think, investors had anticipated, but we are in a period of price discovery and valuations have meaningfully compressed um, within the broader market and also within the tech sector. And so while we continue to tread carefully in the trust, so we're sort of 93, 94% invested, no gearing, highly liquid and still diversified, we are actually beginning to dip our toes back in to next generation companies where the valuation compression has been very, very meaningful. And so if you look in the software space, you're able to buy a basket of next generation companies at much the same forward multiple on an EV sales metric as you can for a bunch of legacy companies. Companies. The last time that happened was in 2015, 2016, when we were also worrying about recession risk. So again, dipping our toes, we're not um, we're not uh, overly sanguine about the, the overall market backdrop here because inflation is at record levels. Uh, central banks look a little behind the curve. I don't think anyone could really be blamed for that because who knew we would have a war in Europe and that we would have oil at $110? So I think in some ways, the tech sector has been caught, caught up in a lot of unexpected or unknown unknowns, as Donald Rumsfeld might have once said. Um, but the fundamentals of our sector, for now at least, remain you know, very different to the, the prices on the screen. And, and I assume, and, and to some extent, hope that some of the next-gen stocks you've been referencing there are rather different to around the turn of the century when a lot of those companies coming to the market hadn't made a penny of revenue, let alone profit. Yeah, look, I think at times like this, it's very easy to, and, and we need to, don't we, as a species, look back and find periods of, um, you know, analogous periods. And of course, the dot-com period now is sort of looming larger in the narrative. For me, it's a, it's, it's a fallacious parallel. I worked in the 90s. Uh, most of the companies that came public didn't make it. Most of them, you know, I think the average age of a company IPOing in that late stage bull market was about four and a half years. The companies that have come public this time around, the ones that are longest duration, many of those companies are at least twice, on average, I think about eight or nine times 
um, eight, eight or nine years old, excuse me, when they came public. Many of the companies that are loss-making today are loss-making because their business models are rental business models, where you incur the cost up front, but revenues come in on a, in a, on a subscription basis. Five minutes ago, that was a very attractive business model for, for market participants, and now people are likening it to a period where a whole bunch of companies came public at the end of a, a kind of Y2K and dot-com period. They were all CapEx plays and not OPEX plays. Like for me, the parallel doesn't stand, but I understand why the narrative has resonance against a backdrop of more uncertain, uh, a more uncertain market backdrop. So presumably with that in mind, and indeed finally, Ben, your outlook from here is that uh, in terms of the overall narrative and the way the world is going, um, there's obviously still much to go for. Look, I think near term, you know, the markets will do what they do. And unfortunately, we're in a very much a top down driven market here where oil prices and what is or isn't happening in, in, in Ukraine um, and, and what's being said you know, by policymakers uh, and the trajectory of inflation um, will drive um, you know, the, the, the market, the equity market, but not just equities, risk assets generally um, feel very much hostage to those top down uh, impetuses. I think from our, from our perspective, it's it's again trying to remind investors of a suitable investment time frame for investment. So this is a, a a trust that's designed to find interesting themes and capital gains opportunities over the long term or medium to long term. So having the rest the right investment time frame, we we have to remind ourselves of that too as investors. So absolutely looking to take advantage of weakness when cross correlations and stocks is as high as this, you get a wonderful opportunity as an active manager to upgrade your portfolio buy the stocks that were sort of beyond you, perhaps on a valuation basis five minutes ago, and let go some of the assets that maybe were cheaper, but are less, less attractive here. What we would expect to see next are more, more uh, M&A, more private equity, and maybe strategic buyers of technology assets, like in 2015-16, that we will hopefully put a line under some of these valuations that, from our perspective, for a medium-term investor, look as attractive as they look for a very long time. Always good to finish on a positive. So absolutely fascinating times. And many thanks again for your time, Ben, and for those valuable insights. That's Ben Rogoff of Polar Capital Technology Trust. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back soon with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now.